So Romans 13, beginning verses 8 and 10, and then I'm going to begin in chapter 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I'm going to read the next seven verses in verse 15. Is connected. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. For each of us pleases, <clears throat> let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So you see how it's called inclusio. is one of these old literary terms where it ends in verse 7 where it says, welcome one another, just where it began in chapter 14, uh, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. So this is about this welcoming of one another. And so there is a, a principle in Scripture where um, it's called the analogy of faith where that the only infallible, the only perfect rule of interpretation of Scripture is to let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. So if there's a hard place in Scripture and you can't figure it out, well, then you can only interpret it in light of places where it's a little more clear. And so that's one of the things that we're going to be doing here because I, I think the way that we tend in our culture and our day to look at this verse in a lot of ways, because I was guilty of this after I looked at it a lot, it's like we just, we, we're looking at it backwards. And it's like, so we need to, to keep something in mind if we're to think about, okay, if, if Paul, Paul wrote Romans to that church at that time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because what he said to that church at that time will be directly applicable to every church for all time until the end of time. And so we have to see, okay, but we need to interpret in light of what was going on there and what particularly was he talking about and how do we apply it to ourselves today. And that's true with all of Scripture. And one of the things that we see um, going on in the, in the church today um, is the need for strong Christians. Um, if, we, if, you were, if you do polls, and if these polls are accurate in any way, man, there's a bunch of weak Christians out there. Now, notice the beginning of 14. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, or in the faith, welcome him. This isn't talking about non-believers. And this isn't talking about, and we're going to look at some different categories in a minute. I don't, if I get through this sermon in the time allotted, I'll be surprised. So rather than, you know, offend the consciences of all the weaker brothers and go over time, what I'm going to do is, uh, we'll probably make this, a, a, you know, I'll continue. See, if I'll just quit talking about it, I might actually get to it. So, that what we need are to see here is like these are brothers who are in the faith. These are not brothers who are trying to be divisive, divisive. These aren't brothers who are being, trying to be false teachers. These are people that are coming to church that have a different way of looking at things, and they're probably new. Uh, the church in Rome was at that time most likely mostly Jewish believers, um, and so a lot of their friends and family coming into the church, they're like, what do you... What do you mean? We don't, you know, there's lots of changes from the, the Jewish dispensation to the, the Christian time. All these you know, things being fulfilled in Christ. Well, what things can I do? You know, clean and unclean. That was huge. Well, it's like now he's saying there's nothing that's clean and unclean. So what do you do? Well, you welcome these people, and you don't just welcome them to, to have an argument over these things. And so this is what he's talking about. Is how do we deal with these differences of faith, uh, people in the faith who have differences of opinions, but what Paul says, these aren't just differences of opinions. These are people who are actually weak in their faith versus those, and Paul puts himself in this category of those who are strong. 
So you got to keep that in mind because sometimes Paul will say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, he's not talking about when I am weak in the faith, then I am strong. He says, when I recognize the fact that without faith I can do nothing, then I am strong. When I start to think, look at me and how much I can do on my own, then I am weak. When I lean on Jesus Christ in faith in the right way, then I am strong. So then what do you do? You know, you've been in church a while. You've been growing in the faith. You're, you're, you've gotten a lot of things together. And then here comes some Yahoo that's discovered Jesus Christ. He comes busting in. He's got all these extra rules and things. Notice the weaker brother has things you cannot do. And that's one of these things. And so it's like, <laughs> okay, so he's judging you. Then you're like, well, how do you handle that? And so the way we handle it typically is like, you know, we throw the Westminster Confession of Faith at him and throw a bunch of books at him and start hammering on him. And it's like, you know, so um, we had to be careful with that. And then we don't do that all the time. As a matter of fact, I think we, we try to do fairly well with these things, understanding that ourselves we may not quite be as strong as we think we are in the faith. But there is a need for strong Christians, for Christians to be in the faith, but not just strong in opinions. Today, in many ways, we're living under what's been called the tyranny of the weaker brother. The tyranny of the weaker brother. Where the weaker brothers, and it can be at this point, they're talking about even weaker churches, weaker believers that have come in and they have uh, had a tyranny over everything. So the weaker are controlling what the strong should be controlling. And so it's not that the strong are supposed to be keeping a tight thumb down everybody, but we're trying to grow people. I mean, the idea is if you're, if you're weak, you, you want to grow into strength. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about people who can just drink milk. It's like you need to be able to take meat at some point. But, you know, we've got, that was my grandson Bear making a joyful noise unto the Lord. I mean, goodness gracious, the boy's got some lungs he's developing. And I'm glad he's in here. I'm glad other children are here. And I'm glad they make a noise. But you're not going to go over there and expect them. You're not going to go over there and start shaking them and tell them, you know, quit, quit acting like a baby. Quit acting like a baby. <laughs> it's like. Toddler, you know, whatever it is. So we had to be careful with people who are weak in the faith that you don't treat them with harshness. But this takes a lot of wisdom to understand when am I dealing with somebody who's weak in the faith and when am I dealing with some other types of, of people. So the weaker brothers, and they're, they're everywhere. In times we can be the weaker brother. Sometimes we're the stronger brother. But how can you spot a weaker brother? And I just jotted a, a few things down. One is they'll seek to add to the word of God. And they'll seek to take away from the word of God because their opinions are mostly these things that they tend to want to have a this is their thing. Their point can tend to be things that God hasn't really said yes or no about. And this is a, a problem that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees um, had a type of legalism where they believed that you could please God by keeping the law. You actually could do the law well enough for God to say, that's it, you're in. They believed it so much that they said, rather than just keeping the laws, we're going to make more laws that won't even, so you won't even get close to breaking the law. And so what do you think Jesus did? Jesus came in and started breaking the law? He couldn't because he's born under the law. If he broke the law one time, we have no Savior. So he was born under the law. But you know what he did? All those man-made laws, all that stuff they set up where they said, not only can we keep your law, God, we're going to make even more laws because I guess they thought God just didn't give enough of them. Jesus went in and he broke every one of them in their faces intentionally. I mean, I would think the turning the table stuff is over about healing people on the Sabbath. You know, they were like, you can't do that. And he's like, why? 
I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Oh, I mean, he's in their faces with that stuff. And it's just like, you know, watch me do it. You know, I forgive you of your sins. What? You think I don't have the power to forgive sins? Which is either forgive the man's sins and say, take up your mat and walk. Take up your mat and walk. And the man gets up and he walks. And they're going crazy. Because they've got it wrong about the law. They think they're good enough. They think that he's going to lead people down a bad path. And there's people like that in the church all over the place. That they're going to make more rules so that you don't get close to breaking God's rules. But another thing happens is they know they can't make God's rules. They know they can't do God's rules. So we'll make another set of rules. You can keep those. You can dress right, talk right, sing right, go right, do right. You can do that. You can stop going to this place, that place, that place. You can stop reading this, looking at that, writing that, singing that. You can do all these things. There's stuff you can do. You can give more, give less. You can do that stuff. And then what we have going on today is, goodness gracious, if we offend anybody, it's like the end of the world. And so Jesus just walked around offending people left and right. Not bruising weak consciences, but taking people who are claiming to be strong and speaking on behalf of God and saying, you have no authority to speak on behalf of God, the things you were saying, you don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, isn't it a good thing we don't have anybody that does like that today? You know, and that's where we are in the church today. And I'm just, in our culture, I know most about our culture, there are churches that are just wrong about what they're doing. They have set up a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules that either is impossible to keep, you make somebody twice the child of hell than they were to start with, that the Bible says, or they think we're doing so good because we're able to keep their superficial laws. The law is there to drive you to Christ. I mean, if you sincerely think you can keep the law, you, you don't get it. <laughs> You're not there. You need to read the law. I mean, go read, the old, read Deuteronomy. We're reading Deuteronomy for our grandkids, and it's like, Oh, my gosh, he's killing a bunch of people. It's like, you know, do not put two types of thread in your clothing, because if you do, we're going to kill you. <laughs> and they're like, what? And they got to be almost, you're trying not to be disrespectful, but, you know, little kids are it's like, they're going to kill everybody. What are they doing? It's like, that's the point. Everybody would be dead if it was by the letter of the law. This is what Jesus came for, so that we don't have that kind of severity. We don't have that law. We cannot keep the holiness of God intact in our lives. We cannot do it. You need Christ. And you also don't need to be out there robbing, stealing, killing, cheating, lying, doing all these evil things. Don't sin. That's a part of it. I mean, it's not like we just do away with the law. So you know, how does this all work? And what we need is we need strong men in strong churches who lead their churches well, who lead their households well. We need women, strong women in the faith, not just strong men, strong men in the faith, strong women in the faith, wives, mothers, grandmothers, fathers, grandfathers, who are strong in the faith so that they're able to bring up strong men and women in the faith. Your child is going to be a man or a woman one day, and I don't want your Girls growing up looking for some kind of weak man. I want them to say, if, if I'm coming under the authority of somebody, and if I'm going to be the helper of somebody, and we're going to be of one flesh, and we're going to raise children, and we're going into this world, I want to make sure that man better be strong like my daddy was, is. Now, we don't all have fathers that were like that. It's like, it's okay. You got the Lord Jesus Christ, you got the Bible, and then you ought to be able to look around church and go, I see some people trying to do it right. 
And that's your multi-generational ministry that we have. We, we want to have men who are grandparents, great-grandparents. You might look back and say, you know what, I blew it. But I've lived a while since then. <laughs> and if I could do it again, or if I could help you, it's like, teach us. You know, you want these men, strong men in the faith. You want to have elderly people strong in the faith facing the end of their life and being able to look back and say, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And then have the younger man to be able to look up to them as they do their own, with their own father. And so that's what we're trying to do is that we don't want to continue to be weak. And the way we can weaken the church is to come under the tyranny of weaker brothers. So we have to be careful about that. There's a way to welcome. There's a way to do what the Lord's talking about here. But we also have to keep it in context of what is being said. Because if it is about not offending anybody, you know, is that, that part about not eating meat or drinking wine, if it offends anybody, and people automatically jump to, you know, in our culture, it's like the alcohol part. Well, that means you can't drink any alcohol. It's like, okay, fine, then we can't eat meat either. And, you know, what else are we going to do? Because that's not what this passage is talking about. And so what the passage is talking about is individual people who come in amongst you that have different scruples and different weaknesses in faith, and that what we need to be doing is learning how to welcome them. But there are different types of people who aren't just like, I mean, somebody will come in there like, you know, I don't, I think that I should be following the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. And, you know, I mean, they're talking to me, you know, does your church think that? You know, then we get into these problems of how many different churches there are, and you can find a, a church that believes just like you do on anything, and that's one of the problems. We're not being fitted together as living stones. We're being sorted. Sorry, it makes me think of the sorting hat and the that uh, it's not Christopher Robin. Who's that? The Harry Potter. Thank you, the weaker brothers who read that stuff. So, <laughs> so the, the Harry Potter. Yeah, he's got the sorting hat. It's like oh, we're gonna put you here. You belong there. We put you here. You like, like, but we do that to ourselves because it's like your church. And I mean, you do have to pick a church. I mean, it's not like you just well, I'll just go to the closest one. I mean, how do you discern what church you're supposed to go to? And, it, and it's difficult, but what can end up happening, especially for a, a person who's weak in the faith, a new believer, they don't know what to look for. What's a new believer supposed to look for? As a new believer, you think every church is the same. They're church. Church is church. And so I got a bunch of kids. What am I going to look for? I'm going to look for a church that, that, that my kids want to go to. A lot of churches know that. So they do a lot to entertain the kids, take the kids, make sure the kids are, you know, so that the kids say, that's where I want to go. And the children pick the church. That's what weak in the faith People do. It's, it's what's going to happen. Some churches say, well, we're going to accommodate that. And so it's like, well, okay. But, you know, so we've thought that through, too, about how do we want to do it? How do we want to do that? What we want to do is say, I hope if a new believer comes in and they have children and they're thinking like that, that they're still able to look around and see families, see people, see families that are strong in the faith, see a church that's worshiping strong in the faith, and they go, I want that. <laughs> and there goes a... There goes a grandmama taking that child out. <laughs> it's a perfect analogy. And she did the right thing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Rob's going to be the one crying next, and his wife will take him out. So it's just one of these things. But it's like, how do you do it? And I can tell you what she's not doing. She's not out there beating that child to death and daring him to make another sound in there because that child never wanted to come. We were afraid my son Chandler... Um, he was a rather rambunctious child, and so when we'd come to church, it was like we felt like, 
you got to behave so it's like you get a spanking. And it's like, go to church, get a spanking, go to church, get a spanking. I told Amy, I said, I don't know. I said, boy, when he goes to church when he's older, it's going to be like his butt starts hurting and he can't understand why. It's like, he's not going to want to go. So it's like, all right, how do we do this then in such a way that we're intergenerational and we're actually trying to do this just like you do in a family? How, how do you do it? Um, but having so many different choices of so many different churches to go to, it's easy to divide over a lot of superficial things that if you would just stay and you'd work through it. And, you know, Steve Brown had a, a saying for, like, if people are in your church and they're like, they don't like this or they don't like that, and it's like you just would say basically, it's like, well, you may be right, but you may be wrong too. Are you willing to stay here and worship at peace if we don't change on this issue? And I heard one person said, oh, you're saying it's your way or the highway. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, somebody that's a zealot. I love the definition of her one time of a zealot. A zealot is somebody who, who um, can't change his mind and won't change the subject. It's just like everything's about that. Everything's about that all the time. And I wrote this little thing down. So like there's so many churches and denominations that you can just about find one to fit every weakness. You can join the Meat Lovers Methodist Church. That's a, a good name. We could figure that one. Or the Vegetarian Reformed All Day, the same church. But they split. They were VRAD, the Vegetarian Reformed All Days, or the same church. And they became the um, All Fruits Reformed All Days Equal Church, which actually is afraid if you look at it. So they had to come up with a different name. But you have all these people that have sorted themselves and then when they do get into a church, sometimes what they do is they try to take over the church and cause problems. And so the first thing that I want us to look at, there's, there's a few things I want us to look at before we dig into this passage, which I see we're going to dig into it next week. But the first thing is, one is, the one who is weak in the faith, how do you treat him? You welcome him. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now that's interesting. And we're going to take that, so listen to it, all things without grumbling or disputing. 1 Timothy 2.8, lift up holy hands without grumbling or disputing. Um, 2 Timothy 2.14, do not quarrel about words which only ruins the hearers. I mean, I've had some, here's an old word, a humdinger of arguments before about, you know, you know superlapsarian, infralapsarian, you know, what word here, what word there, and you're sitting there having this argument, and there's some new believer over there, and all they're thinking is like, they're just listening to an argument. They're just listening to an argument. And we have heated, you know, if it's just the two of us or just a certain group, you know, we can get in there and start having some yelling and banging because we know we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're just iron sharpening iron. We'll walk out. We love each other. But some new persons, outsiders listening, they don't get that. And so you have to be very careful with that. 2 Timothy 2.16 says to avoid irreverent babble because it will lead people to more and more ungodliness. And so then as we're thinking, as we're trying to think this stuff through, and you get these people who won't change their mind and can't change the subject or can't change their mind and won't change the subject, you get what the Bible calls div divisive people or divisive persons. And so if you want to turn with me, just keep your place there in Romans and turn with me to Titus chapter 3. <clears throat> there's all the Paul's writings are kind of grouped there together. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the T's are together. And they happen to be in alphabetic and numeric order. So Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And Paul is writing this too to Titus about leading a church. And, and he says this, thinking about what we've read and talked about here in, 
uh, Romans 14, he says, remind, uh, well, back up when uh, chapter 2, verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So you're leading a church. In chapter 3, remind them, these people in your church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we, and that means being declared righteous by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and if you want to insist, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, now this is different, remember we just got through saying a welcome, but what if the person stirring up division? So as for the person who stirs up division, warn him once and then twice, having nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So a person who just tries to cause division in a church is to be warned once and then warned twice, and then he's to be uh, rejected. You have nothing to do with him. That's the same Holy Spirit inspires Romans 14 as he does Titus 3. So this is why it takes wisdom and understanding of what is happening and what's going on. A person's just causing division. That's not. This is about unity in the spirit. And this is why we're welcoming the strong welcome of the weak is so that there can be unity so that we might worship and glorify God together. Hebrews 12:15 says, "See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are become defiled." And it happens in churches all the time. You have troublemakers, weak in the faith, but not willing um, to, to listen, and then all they want to do is judge the actions of other people. They desire to make rules that God had not made. Only God is the Lord of the conscience, and so the Bible, only what the Bible says is sin is sin. It's not, our, not what our personal culture likes or dislikes, and I've talked about the Pharisees and how they added to the word of God, and um, uh, um, i trying to think of his name. He said that, um, John Murray said that when you add to the word of God, you're saying you're more holy than God that we will make things sin, that God didn't say in his word to be sin, but he ought to have. And so you have to be very careful about adding to the word of God and making rules about things that God has not made rules. So we need to make sure that they're understanding that there is sin, and sin is not to be lightly tolerated, but we do live by grace, and we're saved by Christ's atoning sacrifice 
on the cross alone. If you look at Galatians 6, just verses 1 through 10, just a little back closer towards Romans. Galatians 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so this isn't just some weak person that's thinking I can't eat meat, um, but if he's caught in a transgression, he actually has sinned against the moral law of God. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But if anyone thinks he is something, and he could very well say if anyone thinks he's strong, he thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let each one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then, we who have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. But see, one of the principles that's taking place in the household of faith is there is a, a discipline that's taking place. If there are people who are causing division, you, you warn them. If there's somebody who's called in sin, then our job is to go and talk to them with the spirit of trying to restore them with gentleness. Then we have to be careful that we also aren't being caught in this. So don't think that what Paul is saying in chapter 14 is a weaker brother comes in and he's talking about sin, that it's okay to say, um, well, we're not worried about sin, we'll just do whatever. It's like, no, if, if a sinner is sinning, they had to be told about it. If a divisive person is being divisive, they have to be told about it. And then the, the next thing that we get to are the false teachers. And they are charged not to teach. So you can have people who are in the church, maybe they're weak, but they're not trying to teach it to everybody. And it's like trying to get the consensus. Like, you guys are eating meat. Every time you go, it's like, you know, that's all I want to do is try to hammer you on whether or not you can eat meat. Or, you know, in our culture, it can be different things. to drink alcohol or different things like this. So 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. So let's look at that real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussions the King James calls that vain janglings. I just like that word janglings. Vain janglings. He's just talking about stuff. It's all you talk about. Desiring to be teachers of law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And so you had to be very careful about people who are teaching false things in the church. He says, charge them not to teach. 
So we make sure that, that we're not doing that. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. So there are people who will come into churches, and you don't even know they're doing it, but what they're being used by Satan is ravenous wolves, and Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. Those who are weak in the faith, and those who are weak in the faith will be the ones that are caught first. So you who are spiritual have to watch after them. The elders in the church are charged to be under shepherds under Christ, so they're watching out for the wolves. They're watching out for them. They're trying to make sure that we don't have people that come into a church and just trying to be divisive and trying to teach false doctrine and doing all these things so that we can actually say, we're trying to be at peace here. <laughs> we're trying to learn to love one another. There's a lot of people that we don't get along with, and we won't get along with them because Christ has brought them inside. And so that's not an easy thing to do especially when you have people trying to stir up division and you have people trying to teach false doctrine. And so that's why we stick to the word of God and we understand the authority of the church and we have confessions that we believe to be under the authority of scripture and we have the ability to say that those aren't right if the church can come together and say the Bible teaches something different. But you can't just go out. You need to be in a Bible-believing church that is a part of something bigger where there are elders who are over the elders and there's a doctrine of teaching that says this is what we believe about these things that the Bible teaches. And if you're not, being, if you're not doing that, then somebody's going to have a talk with you. And if you're right, then convince the church of it. But if you're wrong, you need to repent and reject it and, and go about teaching what is is for the good and beneficial aim of the church. Now, as my time is rapidly expiring here, um, there are many places in the Bible that call out what is sin. And one of the things that is sin um, is gossip. So we could say, you know what would be best? It's best that we just don't talk to anybody else because when you start talking to other people, you just start gossiping. It's even better, in my opinion, sometimes if we just don't have prayer requests because, my goodness, I don't need to know that Aunt Bessie's running around on your uncle and we need to pray for him. You know, things like that. I mean, prayer time can get to be it's like maybe we need some HIPAA laws going on in here or something. You know, you've got to be careful about what comes out of your mouth. You can do that with individuals, but you've got to be careful about groups so it, we don't want to make too many rules about it. It's like just don't gossip. Don't do it. Got to be aware when it's straying into it. We can all be guilty of that. And there's another one, gluttony. Okay, so maybe it'd be better if we just didn't eat. <laughs> it's like, no, you can eat, but there's maybe there's certain things. You know, some people say don't do carbs. Some people say well, it's just calories. Some people say it's like you know, what are we gonna do? Not eat? You know. And then so another one that's condemned is drunkenness. Well, we've come up with all kinds of ways to make drunkenness. Um, almost where it's nothing but a, a purely physical disease type thing that has, it's not drunkenness, it's alcoholism with genetics. and all. It's like, man, the Bible doesn't talk about it like that. It says, don't be a drunkard. And it's like, well, that sounds like a law. Well, it is a law. Now you got to talk about how do we deal with grace. Maybe it's good for somebody that has a struggle with that. Maybe if somebody struggles with gluttony, they have to start wondering, well, how do I deal with food. If somebody deals with gossip, maybe we start dealing with, well, how do I have conversations with people? If somebody deals with drunkenness, maybe we talk about, well, maybe I don't need to do that. And then if you have a friend that gossips, you have a friend that's gluttonous, you have a friend that, like, you know, they're going, 
you know they're diabetic and you put a piece of candy in front of them, they're going to eat the whole jar. It's like don't put candy in front of them. Don't put the alcohol in front of them. Don't put all that food in front of them. You know, when I was trying to, I had type 2 diabetes, and it's like, okay, I can't be eating all these carbs. I'd go to people's houses, and my friends would be like, well, can you eat this? Can you eat that? And I'm like, thank you for worrying about what it is. I go to McDonald's, and they're going to throw free french fries at me. I was like, what's the deal here? I go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to order my, without a biscuit. They put a cookie in it. I was like, what are you doing to me here? And so we had to be careful. It's like this is about individual loving and caring for people. But when you start to make a rule that says nobody can go to McDonald's, you get a problem. Nobody can go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, it might not be wise. I don't know. But that's up to you to, to be thinking about. But what I want to leave us with is what chapter 15 says. Because what you'll see repeated as we go to over 14 next time, it's this. Don't pass judgment. Don't pass It's repeated in chapter 14 several times, three or four times. Don't pass judgment. Don't pass judgment on your weaker brother. And that's what this is talking about. But, but turn it around because what you're going to see it's really saying is weaker brothers. Quit passing judgment on the stronger. This is what it's saying. This is what caught me finally because I couldn't figure this thing out because it does not match what Paul says in other places. And I'm like, okay, he's trying to, I get it. Okay, okay, these things don't matter. It's like, yes, it does. These things do matter. <laughs> it's not like they're just what's called adiaphorous, or the things that don't matter. But he's talking to these weaker brothers, a lot of it. So I want you to go back and read it and think and look at where it says, um, don't, don't pass judgment. A lot of this is talking to the weaker brothers about passing judgment on the stronger brothers. So be careful about doing that. And then he says, now we all got to be cool about it. That's the John Black Southern version. He said, we all got to be careful with it. You know, we want to make sure, because he says this, I'm going to close with reading this chapter 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings, okay? So these are people that are abstaining from certain things. This is a failing because they're, they're, they're weak. And we're not to please ourselves. So when you're thinking individual, with people you know and you're working with them and stuff, you got a, a Muslims, like they don't eat pork. So what happens when we ask them to come to the barbecue? It's like, oh, well, <laughs> not that we can't have barbecues, but I'm going to be sensitive to it. Let each of us please himself or his neighbor to build him up. That's what we want to do. We want to build these weak people up. We want to build them up. For Christ did not please himself, but he says the reproaches, those who reproached me, fell on, you fell on me, for whatever is written in the former days. This Old Testament stuff, now he's dealing with some of that, that was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures. Now this is awesome. You have endurance and encouragement of the Bible. And then we can have hope. And then he says this benediction, may the God of endurance, he'll get you through it. We can make it. We can get through this. And encouragement to make you stronger, to make you have more hope. May he grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Harmony is awesome. You get somebody that can sing in harmony. It's like good. Everybody, it's, I can kind of match the same note that somebody next to me is singing most of the time. But, I, but if I start going up, I might not hit that note, but man, when you go somewhere and everybody's able to do harmony, and that's how we're supposed to live, is in this harmony. Not everybody on the same note, but we have the same Christ, we have the same, you know, we're not sinning and things like that, but that we all bring our own things together and we're able to, to talk and love each other with one accord with Christ Jesus, that together, it's all about coming to the table, that, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so therefore, you welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And that's the, the Jewish slant that they'll do on that. He welcomed you. Remember, you were welcomed. And why do you do it? For the glory of God. So let's pray. Father God, we pray as we continue to read this and think about this and deal with this, Lord, that it's all for the glory of God. We are bad about thinking we're strong when we're weak, and then sometimes we we're this weak when we ought to be strong, Lord. Help us to be strong. Help us to be strong in our faith, to be strong in the Lord, to be strong about the principles that we would live and die on, that there are things of the faith that if somebody were to come in and say we must deny it or be killed, that that we should have vows that say, I can never deny my Lord, and, and death would come. So, Lord, help us to have such strong confidence in the things that are right and true that we would die for them, but also help us to handle things lightly, knowing that you are the Lord of the conscience. You are the head of this church, and that what you say is what is true, and we are thankful that you love us. Help us do whatever we do for your glory, and that it would indeed glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of response. Everyone will stand. This is how excellent a thing it is. This is um, Psalm 133a. So what I want to do is I'm going to read it. And they do a very good, it's a short psalm. Um, I think the ARP even closes, one of the denominations closes their general assemblies by singing this. But Psalm 133 um, A, how excellent a thing it is, and how pleasant, and how good, when brothers dwell in unity, and live as brothers should, and we're all brothers, for it's like the precious oil poured on Aaron's head, now we think about oil being poured on the head, sometimes that's not good, this is this awesome oil, as we read about it in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it's like these aromatic perfume is it has lots of myrrh and and cinnamon and, and it has olive oil in it but it was designed particularly so that anything it was touched by it was to be made holy unto god and so when aaron and the priests were were ordained as priests they poured this oil on his head this precious oil on his head so this this thing, our dwelling in unity, God is saying, it's like this precious oil that's being poured on Aaron's head, and it rub, runs down like on Rob's beard. Right here. It rubs down like Aaron's beard. It just comes down his beard, and it goes on his collar, and it's just this beautiful Aramaic thing that God is doing to make them holy. And it's like Herman's dew. Mount Herman uh, had this dew that would come down. If you've ever been in the mountains and you see the mist coming down, it just kind of comes down. It's like, this is like... Um, seeing the hill from Mount Zion, where Jerusalem is, is like it just descends, and the Lord commands His blessing there. And here in the church, the life that never ends. This is what it means how God sees the unity of brothers, like this precious oil, like the the dew coming down from heaven upon us. So we're going to sing this, and this is to a tune of oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. <laughs>